HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following program has been sponsored by Kane Vineyard and Winery. Kane Vineyard and Winery supports Heritage Radio and the growing movement to change how Americans eat and how we think about our planet. For more information, visit www.kane5.com. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, taping uh, at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Today, with lovely Mara Trachtenberg, um, I, was, I was lucky enough to have had her information passed on to me. Um, my girlfriend had seen your work, your website somewhere. With oh, these, that's how you got it. Yeah, okay. and, and she said, oh, you should have this person on your radio show, and... It, here it is. <laughs> it's <Here> happening. It. <laughs> I mean, it would have been stupid of me to, you know, not try to uh, get you here to Brooklyn. She drove all the way from uh, Rhode Island. Thank um, you. Just to be on the show. So thank you for being here. Thank um, you for having me. First, I want to say Maratrachtenberg.com. That's M-A-R-A-T-R-A-C-H-T-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. Lots of letters. Excellent work. Spend your time there. And why go there? Sugar candy sculptural photographs. Yes. I mean, that's what we're here to talk about. Um, but we'll get to that in a second. There's a little bit of a, a you know, past that you have to know. <laughs> <laughs> Mara actually got a BA in Women's Studies and English Lit from the University of Rhode Island. Um, then eventually got a BS in Art Education. It's so, why do they call it a BS? Bachelor of Science and yeah. Science of Education. But I saying no BS and Art Education kind of, you know, well, sound like it holds <laughs> well. merit. <laughs> so uh, she also taught high schoolers art and photography, then went on to get her MFA uh, in, at UConn. Yes. Um, what kind of work were you doing for your MFA at UConn? When I came into UConn, I've always been interested in still life and still photography rather than being out in the world and photographing, so yeah. like kind of playing in my imagination. So I was working on still lives, 
Um, I had been involved in a mill project, like a documentary kind of project, where I did still lives of objects from a little, um, one of the historical museums around this mill that we were photographing. And so that was the kind of work that I was doing when I got to Yukon. Black and white, large uh, view camera work. Yeah. Uh, what, what other kind of photographers or artists did you look at for influence or... Olivia Parker is probably one of my most favorite. I don't know. Is it, was she a documentary photographer? No, no. She's a still life photographer, um, and she's out of Boston. And interesting. very interesting art historical, beautiful, lush photographs. Um, so she's probably one of my, I would say, one of my top favorites. But not food oriented, yeah. really. That came a little bit later. Yeah. Um, earlier in Mara's food life, she grew up in the kitchen with her nana. I actually had a Nana, too, of Eastern European descent. And um, while we were emailing prior to the show, she brought up things like Blintz's, Latka, Split Pea Soup, Kugel, Kasha, all staples in my pantry. Mm. Um, <laughs> and we were actually salivating about things like uh, Kishka and Kugel. And right good prior, bagels. And good bagels right prior to the show. Um, and you didn't begin cooking with your Nana. Uh, you began cooking kind of when your mother wasn't wasn't at the home. House. Yeah. Uh, if she's listening to this, I'm in big trouble. Yeah, I used to like play in her cookbooks and, yeah. and like you know make things that seemed like I could actually make them. Like Excellent. Appetizers. What kind of recipes? I remember there was a um, it was an appetizer where you would I don't remember what it was called, but you would like it was a Betty Crocker cookbook. Yeah, um, and you would take white bread and like roll it flat and put butter on it and then fry it and then put you know like cream cheese or something on top and you know healthy yeah super healthy um and you know just stuff like that and then when i got a little bit better i started to cook for my mom and i remember making chicken marsala for her once on her birthday and that was like a big deal i was driving then so i was able to go to the store by myself (laughs) so So you took it upon yourself and you also mentioned that your father had a garden um yes what kind of garden was this a vegetable garden it was a big vegetable garden um and it was when i was much younger before my parents got divorced um I remember the cherry tomatoes and the strawberries and peas and carrots and so did you go in the backyard and do the whole local sustainable thing prior to it becoming such a a mantra yeah i guess i guess that's what we were doing although i don't think you know anybody i think he just really enjoyed being in the dirt and growing things and um it never really it was more like a supplement to what we had in the house it wasn't like the way i garden now which is you know in the summertime that's like you know, 90% of our produce comes from oh, right outside awesome. my kitchen. Yeah, I, it's great. I only wish. I keep on trying to grow things in my backyard, but I have no direct sunlight. Yeah, so, like, I could do hostas. I can maybe do raspberries. Lettuce. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. And then there are all those feral cats that come oh. and, you know, munch on healthy greens rather than me. Um, but I, I like that you got your hands dirty at a young age with food. Um, and seems like it kind of translated in its tactility to photography, mm. um, which can be a removed thing because of its mechanics. But Mara makes these really elegant um, sugar sculpture, like dioramas, uh, then photographs them with a four by five. They're kind of reminiscent to me of like uh, scenes from the bar. Mm. Uh, these, these, I love that you said that. <laughs> yeah, like French royal gardens. Plus, there are very ornate elephants and giraffes and peacocks uh, present in the images. But this kind of came from a compilation of a whole bunch of other uh, artists that you had mentioned to me before. Things like Dutch alcove paintings of the 16th, 17th mm-hmm. century. Uh, Sandy Skoglund, uh, who you could explain a little bit more to our listeners. Uh, she does these life-sized, they're, they're installations, actually. So she's kind of one of those people who um, 
mixes photography with sculpture. So she does these installations and not all of them, but some of them use food and then she photographs them with yeah. a view camera but and like um, these really beautifully vivid textures and materials colors, like the there's one that um i forget what it's called but it's where there are people in the picture and the whole room is covered in cheese doodles <laughs> so like you know super bright orange yeah. um you know and then there's a raisin one and there's one that she does with bacon so it's you know the whole room is covered in bacon have you seen that one no i haven't um like pre lady gaga's meat dress I'm yeah <laughs> yes yes i think these yeah, were done yeah. in the 80s so um yeah, so I really like her work. And then, you know, of course... Um, oh, you also reference uh, Edward Weston's Sexy Peppers. Yes. <laughs> um, these black and white photographs from when were they, like the 50s? or Earlier, yeah. like the 40s. Um, yeah, I mean, just... Edward Weston had this amazing way of transforming everything. You know, he really was a... He was, like, one of the first people to be able to, you know, transcend the object with a photograph. Yeah. Um, Showing these, like, sensual lines and curves. They're I mean, super like, sexy. Yeah. I mean, if you like food and, you yeah. know... So, I mean, like, the yeah. it's almost derivative of the way a lot of food writers, um, you know, right now, mm-hmm. you know, with these very sensual things that he was actually, you know, anamorphically uh, showing through... You know, the yes. vegetables that he had, and um, and when I show my students that work, you know, if they haven't seen it before, I always say, you know, these are the sexy peppers. And <laughs> they think it's great because they're, you know, they're young and their yeah. hormones are raging. Yeah, and, you know. <laughs> and then on to Wayne Thibault, the ninety-year-old painter. Right, uh, right, and then Sharon Core, who's yeah. been remaking his oh, paintings yeah. and photographs. She's, a, I think, she lives in Brooklyn. Yeah, true. Um, she's contemporary, and um, she, she her work is a little bit different now, but you know, probably about maybe 10 years ago, eight years ago, she was making, yeah. she was recreating his paintings with, you know, actually making cakes oh, and then awesome. photographing them. Yeah. Um, and they're very interesting. And if, if you don't know Wayne Thibault's work, um, a lot of people, I think, in New York know it because of the New Yorker. Uh, I don't even know. Maybe the last five food issue covers have been Wayne Thibault's. Mm-hmm. They're the very pastel-y, um, you know, images of confectionaries, mm. like, but very Americana things. Right. Um, and then we come to your work, <laughs> which seems like this amazing mashup of all these past, you know, uh, you know, influences. Yeah, it's, I'm kind of honored that you would put yeah. me in that category. Um, it's, it's, no, it is. It's a great amalgamation of all these ideas and thoughts from it being like this large diorama, um, mm-hmm. then photograph, but using the confections of, you know, Thibaut and using the idea of still life from the Dutch, you know, uh, right. paintings. Um, now, explain a little bit of this project first of all what what is it called it's called a decadent world yeah and um prior to doing this work i was i always joke that the work that i did before i had my daughter was my dark work (laughs) and then i had my daughter and i became like more happy um (laughs) oh we'll get to that dark stuff after the break i mean Um, there's some dark stuff uh but how did i get i'm sorry can you repeat the question um, just explain the work a little bit. I mean, okay. um, what, what's really cool is if you see the work, a, a decadent world, it's kind of like the nature of food versus the culture. Right, food, right, right. Um, but made up of <laughs> all these crazy pastry elements from royal icing to... Uh, to fondant. Um, so basically, my I'm really interested in the way nature and cult- culture interact in my work. And um, it's just part of you know my life, actually. And yeah. It's something I'm always thinking about. And food is really one of those places. And, you know, interestingly enough, I'm also like 
obsessed with food. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it kind of works really well for me. Um, food is a place where they really, you know, inter- interconnect and it's, you can't, you know, remove food from culture, really. You know, food is so integral to culture. Yeah. So that's kind of where it started. And I, um, my work prior to this has always kind of flitted around food, used food, but it was never really, I never used food in this way. Yeah. And Well, you're saying too that like once you had a child, you watch a lot more TV. I did watch a lot more TV <laughs> because you're exhausted yeah. and your brain doesn't, you know, like when you have a newborn, it's like you're not sleeping. So, yeah. um, and what kind of shows were you watching? I love the Food Network. I mean, just like, you know, everybody yeah. else. And so I got, I became really intrigued by Ace of Cakes and, you know, I'm a social, I consider myself a socially conscious person. So, I became really interested in the idea that there are starving people in the world, but yet there are, we can still make these crazy food things that are like, you know, people spend tons and tons of money on yeah. and it's food and it's, it's not actually like nutritive food yeah. and people are starving in the world. And so that's kind of where the idea of a decadent world came in. Like we really do live in a decadent world where we can do this and like, look what I can do with sh- this like non nutritive food, yeah. you know? Um, so it's more like conspicuous and sustenance. And, yes, yeah. yes, and it's delicious yeah, and, yeah. and addictive and wonderful. Yeah, um, but it's also you know it is what it is. And then you know I start to think about the obesity issues that we have in the country, and you know so it's kind of it, whatever I do work, it kind of pulls in a lot of things from a lot yeah. of different places. So I mean, back to a deck in the world and the actual pieces of work. Um, you were telling me a little bit about how it was kind of like loving the idea of fantasy and Willy Wonka. Yes. Um, <laughs> does it help then separate yourself from, you know, malnutrition and all that stuff yes. when you put it in that fantasy realm? Yes. Yes, it does. Because I, I don't think I could, I mean, I, I have a lot of guilt yeah. around using food to make art because it seems so frivolous and decadent. Yeah. Um, so thinking about fantasy and imagination and that kind of, you know, that scene from Willy Wonka, the yeah. original Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory when, um, you know, they go into the factory and it's, everything is edible. It was yeah. always, like, just, it was always amazing to me as a child and always, you know, it just kind of sat with me. Um, and so I started to think, like, can I make a world out of sugar? Yeah. Or out of food? And then I started um, watching Ace of Cakes and I thought, okay, sugar, here we go. So um, how did you start learning about sugar? Um, I just bought some books. Yeah. There's a ton of great, you know, textbooks on sugar. I think, like, one of them is Sugarcraft. And, yeah. Um, so I bought a bunch of books and just started reading. And I'm just the kind of person who can learn from reading a book um, and doing. So I was able to teach myself how to... I wouldn't say that I'm super skilled. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think... I don't I, know. I've seen your work. You've got uh, some... Yeah. You've I, got a I, I, good I could, hand. I, I would love to take a pastry course yeah. um, to really like refine things. Um, my fondant work is a little you know, lumpy, bumpy, and cracky and stuff. <laughs> but, you know, Photoshop is really good. <laughs> well, I mean, so you learn things from piping to fondant to gum paste to buttercream to royal icing, poured sculpting, uh, well, Rice Krispies treats yes. as, as bases. Rice Krispie treats are amazing sculpting are material. I don't yeah. have a sculpture background. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. You can make anything out of a Rice Krispie treat yeah. and a couple of dowels. You're good to go. <laughs> I mean, I think I did that unintentionally during lunch periods in like middle school and high school when you get tired of what you're eating 
thing and start making weird little things with yeah. the Rice Krispie treats. But or, it, yeah, it's the base of a lot of uh, even that other show, um, Cake Boss. Yes, yeah, uses they use a lot of stuff, a lot of Rice Krispie treats, and I and also they have those Food Network challenges. Yeah, so I you know I watch to learn to see how people kind of do things, and I pick up you know little things here and there. A lot of experimenting. Yeah, a lot of cake baking in my house going on. For you know, it took me a good. I would say two years of just playing around and practicing yeah. to actually make something that I wanted to photograph. I'm sure your husband and daughter uh, were Love excited, it. yeah, Love it. Love about it. having that at the house. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about the actual work. Okay. Um, what was interesting is that you had this background, you know, in art and installation, and you had this concept and idea. So you learned the skills. Now, why the aesthetic? Uh, you know, of this very plush, you know, uh, like I was saying before, Babar, Royal Garden life. Well, gardens are another place. Like, you know, food is that as a link between nature and culture in my yeah. mind. Gardens are also another place where nature and culture meet. Um, I spend a lot of time in my garden this summer. I love to grow, vet- you know, I grow lots of food and I also grow flowers. Um, and I always think that this is, you know, look at me controlling nature um, and look at that. You know, this is a place where humans, you know, can control nature to suit our purposes. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I chose gardens. Yeah. Um, but, but that's more sustenance rather than decadence. Mm, well, when you grow flowers, yeah. you know, and formal gardens of France and, you know, in England, which I was looking at a lot yeah. before I made everything are not necessarily they're about, you know, beauty and encountering beauty in the world and, and enjoying nature in a very controlled sort of way. Yeah. Um, which is kind of what we do with food, too, you know. Um, we're going to take a quick break and actually talk about the darker side of things. <laughs> <laughs> the, the lack of control. Um, the proteins, the meats. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so keep on listening uh, to the food scene, and uh, we'll be right back. to the food scene on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with the sugar sculptor and photographer, Mara Trappenberg. Um, I didn't want to, oh, I hate saying the sugar coat, this whole interview <laughs> without actually touching um, a very important part of your life. Uh, after school, after teaching a little bit, after exhibiting art, you actually went on to photograph a slaughterhouse in Connecticut. Oh, that was actually when I was in graduate oh, school. Oh, when you were in grad school. prior to teaching, yes. Um, talked a little bit more about the life and death, animal, you know, human interaction thing, and then actually made still lives of animal parts. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, so I had, wa- I had was 
trying to do this funny project. You know, when you get to graduate school and you don't really know what you're doing, yeah. it's very conf- it's, it can be a very confusing time. And I was very confused, so I was making this really these really awful images. And someone suggested that I I try to get some animal organs, and so I found this little slaughterhouse. <laughs> Who's the person that suggested that? <laughs> I don't remember yeah. actually. Um, one of my wonderful mentors at yeah. UConn, um, and. So I found this little slaughterhouse in Connecticut and they were willing to sell me some stuff and I walked in and I was just totally overwhelmed yeah. and I just had this really intense gut feeling that I needed to be there. Yeah. So I got the organs and I started playing around and it wasn't the work wasn't doing what I wanted it to be but I couldn't it, stop thinking about the slaughterhouse. You ate meat at this time. Yes. Yes. I was a vegetarian for a long time and then I met my husband who's an you know, he's a, an Carnival, Italian. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, What do you mean you don't eat meat? And I was like, Oh so I started eating meat again. Yeah. And um I had thought I had made my peace with eating meat. Yeah. Um but then I walked into the slaughterhouse and started photographing. Um and it was it was a crazy nine months. Very emotional, very yeah. highs and lows. I love I'm uh, you know, I love animals, I live with animals. Um uh, it was hard for it was really hard for me, but also eye opening, you know, to a particular industry. Yeah. Um, and you know, for all of the conceptual, you know, ideas that eating meat and the process of eating meat and being close to your food production, um, you know, that that being in a slaughterhouse really raised for me. Yeah. And just the visceral nature of watch, you know, the visceral nature of an animal being slaughtered and then you know taken apart. Um, I just flat all of a sudden flash, you know, I, you know, flesh is flesh, whether yeah. it's, you know, like a four legged beast or a human, it's still flesh. It looks the same. Yeah. So I, um, I couldn't for a lo- you know, for about two years, I couldn't yeah. really eat any meat. And, well, what kind of sculptures were you making with, uh, the organs of these animals? Well, uh, so I, so I, I did it like, it was like a doc, like documentary work, yeah. um, of the slaughterhouse, very dramatic, um, lighting. And I couldn't, I didn't really show, I haven't shown that work. Um, and then, this was going on also at the time where I was starting to think about, you know, being a mother. And so the idea of, you know, I had two dogs at the time. They were my babies, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and so that became very strange to me that I had these babies, that I, like these animals that I cared for like my children. And yet I was watching these other animals get killed and eat. And so the idea, so babies and animals became kind of, it became a very interesting contrast to me. So I was actually making still lives um black background kind of very dramatic lighting carvaggio-esque yeah. <laughs> um with dead animal parts and baby yeah. toys so they're kind of they're dark and funny interesting um it's a, a little bit lighter maybe than joel peter whitkin but uh yeah yeah, yeah. and color they're yeah, in color and yeah, color um you so know. like that slash uh, what was his name Carlos Serrano doing a lot of his like piss Christ stuff where it looked like Andre was, Serrano yeah, yeah. Andre Serrano, so yeah. and definitely you know interested in in um, that attraction repulsion kind of response yeah. that we have and especially you know being an artist being someone who's very visual I can find and I know lots of people that can find beauty in horrible things and I remember watching and while I was doing this work I remember watching Iraq being bombed and you know seeing the smoke clouds coming up uh, you know on the news and being like oh my god it's so beautiful yeah. but oh how awful or just seeing all the scuds flying through that night sky mm-hmm. too was just like aurora borealis you know yeah, I mean, it's it was like beautiful and terrible yeah, at the same majestic, time yeah. so that's something that i'm I, and i still i think i do play with that in a decadent world yeah. um it's just not as on the forefront i think you have to spend some time with the work to really 
see what's going on. Yeah. So, I mean, um, a decadent world with all the sugar and all the vivid colors, it's, mm-hmm. it's not sugar-coated. It's not all nice and sweet. Right. What, what was the darker side of that project? Um, so, you know, the gardens are that place of between nature and culture. Food is a place between nature and culture. And working in the slaughterhouse and having that experience, um, animals are also a place where culture and nature meet. And so animals are my main you know they're the characters in these worlds or the inhabitants of these worlds i yeah. guess um and i'm really interested in the place where humanity and animals meet um so they're all they all have doll heads yeah. as their faces um and super blank and they're kind of the animals are placed in precarious positions so it it's almost like there's some intervening force that kind of puts these animals in these precarious positions. Some of them are dressed up. They're decorated. I was looking a lot at like... I remember one was on a pedestal too, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of just trying to play with that idea that we use animals yeah. for cultural reasons the same way that we use food for cultural reasons, the same way we have gardens. And so it all kind of comes together i hope yeah that's my hope that it makes sense <laughs> when yeah. you look at the work uh, but then the animals that you use in the work i mean priorly we had talked about the slaughterhouse uh, mm-hmm. what kind of animals was that uh cows pigs goats yeah uh, your two dogs which were your babies and now there are elephants giraffes and peacocks yes uh why that choice of animal um i practice a lot of yoga and i'm very interested in hinduism and the visual parts of Hinduism. So I, I spend a lot of time looking at the way Hindus picture animals. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of where that comes from. And um, I have a thing for elephants. <laughs> when I, you know, I you know go you're to- saying that on air. <laughs> <laughs> Not that kind of yeah. thing. It's like I have this very strange experience when I'm around elephants. Yeah. Not that I'm around elephants a lot. But, yeah. you know, when you have a kid, you go to the zoo. And I, I was down in D.C. with my daughter uh, visiting a friend. And we went to the Washington, D.C. Zoo. And they were bathing an elephant. And we were up close. And I just, my heart just opened to this elephant. And I was in tears. Yeah. Um, and I just have this thing i don't know elephants just amaze me they're amazing oh, no, creatures I, they're absolutely something to behold I yes mean, um, they they look wise and gentle at the same time mm-hmm. um and then giraffes there was that story was it there's some story uh, it eludes me the actual details of it but there was some king way back when who gave some other king in europe a giraffe for a gift and it was like the symbol of wealth and decadence to actually have maybe it was in france to have like exotic animals in your garden yeah so that kind of you know and that's kind of where it came from and peacocks are just you know beautiful and yeah decadent all unto themselves yeah so um aside from these like aesthetic choices i want to actually talk about the process a little bit okay too. go ahead floor is yours <laughs> Let's, let's the process of actually putting together a single scene for a decadent. Okay, world. so the grass areas is just you know um, crystallized colored sugar. Yeah. Sometimes I buy it. Sometimes I make it. Um, and then I you know there's a lot of hedges. So those are actually and my one of my like funny limitations was if a cake decorator can use it, then I'm going to use it. Yeah. <laughs> so I you do use some foam core because it'd be very hard for me to like make a cake or even. Rice Krispie Treats big enough to stand up. So I use some like floral kind of foam stuff um, for the hedges. And so those are, I ice them usually and then I pipe them with yeah. the royal icing. Um, and it can be, 
you know, I learned that it'd be really nice to have a huge industrial mixer so I can actually make <laughs> one giant batch of green. Yeah. It's really hard to match color. Yeah. So when I first started making the hedges, it, the first one took me, you know, forever to do because the colors weren't right. Um, and that stuff dries out, too, if you just make too much and just let it sit. Right. And, yeah. Right. So, um so there's that. The backgrounds are royal icing, yeah. again, which is a wonderful painting medium. Yeah. <laughs> if I were a painter, I might even paint with royal icing because yeah. it's really fun. So it's a, it's a you know just a, back, a white paper backdrop. Um, and then when I start to build the animals, there's a lot of trial and error. And, error, and I think part of the challenge for me is like, can I actually do this and make <laughs> it work? So I make things and they fall apart a lot. They're all, usually they have a Rice Krispie Treat core and some wire armature work around them, and then they're covered in fondant. And usually it's more than one layer to get the surface. Yeah. The elephants have like a layer of flat fondant, and then I was rolling out super, super thin on my uh, pasta maker, yeah. like on the thinnest setting. Um, so it's like you can see through it, and then wetting the fondant on, like the fondant that was already on the elephant, putting it on, and then like, kind of squishing it together to make the wrinkles. Yeah. And that seemed to work really well. I do also really like, like, I feel like I'm in uncharted territory <laughs> in a way, you know, uh, that I can make things up and yeah. use it. And the elephants are airbrushed, and then I kind of, I decorate them with um, dragees and all sorts of other things. Um, so, I mean, these sets are pseudo-edible, except for, like, the wire. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, again, like, I learned a lot from watching Ace of Cakes. They make crazy, you know, giant things with, like, wood inside of them. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. You know, there's... What actually happens to a set after you're done photographing it? I try to save things, because yeah. I don't know why I'm attached to them. But, they, you know, I... I some of them I spray with, um, like, a... Is it silicone? There's some kind of food some preservative. Kind of lacquer, yeah. yeah. Um and so the biggest issue with saving things is the is the weather really and the mice. Um, <laughs> I was going to say the amount of uh, rice crispy elephant tchotchkes that you have. <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm all constantly fighting the humidity in the summer. Yeah. Um, well, where do you actually construct these things? Is I construct it controlled is in it? my basement. No, it's yeah. not tech, uh, not totally temperature controlled. In the summer, I run two humidifier dehumidifiers and an air conditioner yeah. <laughs> in my basement. Um, and we live in an old house, uh, um, so it's it's interesting. And it, it's sometimes I feel like I'm fighting, you know, a, a crazy uphill battle. Yeah. And then I shoot. My neighbors across the street have this garage that they let me. They they don't use, and they're so generous, and they let me. Um, shoot in their garage and again so then in the summer i have to run an air conditioner and dehumidifier um so i mean how long does it actually take to put one together an hour two hours oh no, no like days i would say probably like two months oh wow from start to finish and then yeah. how long about does it take to photograph it well the photographing is relatively fast yeah comparatively you know i, I once it's all set up you know once everything is the making of everything takes a really long time yeah. then once it's all made and i set it up and then i do a couple of test shoots and yeah um then it's usually like just a couple of days. It's two months. That's what's also fascinating though, when you emailed me, you you were talking to me about the idea of all these food as art objects, um, mm-hmm. and their lack of scent. Mm-hmm. Um so you have this thing, and I wouldn't say festering, I because you have the air conditioners and dehumidifiers. <laughs> oh, they fester. Uh, yeah. But this thing, this live, pseudo live sugar thing mm-hmm. happening in your basement for two months. What does it smell like? And does that permeate the way you photograph it or the way you construct it? 
Um, do you wish to somehow someday have scent associated or attached to these things? I think the scent is interesting. It smells like my basement smells like sugar, and yeah. we have mice in the basement, so that was that's another uphill battle that yeah. I'm constantly fighting. Uh, things get eaten, and then we have like dead blue mice in my basement because I use a lot of blue color to make the green. <laughs> um, I have the diabetic mice of, yeah. of my neighborhood. Um, the scent is interesting to me, and I was just talking to my friend last night about. You know, the photograph having that lack of sensory, and that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, the first time I showed the work, people were very curious to actually see the objects. And so I've been thinking a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, I do think that the sensory part of the food is, is important and interesting. Um, there's a, an interesting relationship to me between food and photography, you know, about the impermanence. So I think on, you know, Kind of a conceptual level that yeah. kind of that works well for me, but so, I mean, um, you're preserving your, this thing that you've made with a photograph, right? Um, would you ever display that diorama? Well, you that's know, why a year I, down the road, I had yeah. mentioned that yeah. I'm ta- I'm thinking about my next yeah. body of work being actually dioramas that I photograph, so that the dioramas are part of the artwork and so that they might get shown as well. Oh, awesome! So I'm going to start playing with that um, a little bit soon. Have you ever seen the movie Peter Greenaway's uh, Zed and Two Knots, also no. known as Zoo? Uh, a big part of the movie is this time-lapse photography of food as it decays. Oh. Um, I don't know what then. I've seen the whole movie, but it's one of those movies, no matter how many times you've seen, y- you don't remember the thing, you know, as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that's a large part of it. Okay. Um, but it's just very interesting to then see these time-lapse, you know, pieces of food, you know, uh, decay. Right. right and, your eyes. you know, yeah. people have mentioned to me... Um, you should display this or the real work is what you're making. It's not the photograph, but I'm a photographer. Yeah. And it was conceived as photographs. Yeah. So um, it's definitely something I think about. I haven't resolved it yet um, in my mind. And maybe I never will. Maybe that that's what will keep me making things. Yeah. Um, or maybe you just uh, display all these blue mice in your basement. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I think it'd be interesting to like photograph them all melted, you know, front, just let them go yeah. in the humidity and like turn all the dehumidifiers and the air conditioners off in the summer and just let them melt yeah. and photograph them and just see what they look like just for kicks. Oh, that's kind and, of the difference between control and nature. Mm-hmm. I mean, you turn off the air conditioner, you turn off the humidifier. You let nature take That's its right. turn at these <laughs> crazy little uh, sugar worlds. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to thank you so much uh, for being on the show. Thank I mean, you for it, having it's me. kind of inspiring, and the, the fantasy, the play makes uh, you know this kind of fun and this kind of insight mm-hmm. uh, seem like anyone can actually do it. I mean, it, it's not you know cool. unattainable. So. Uh, that's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. And if you've not seen Mara's work, it's maratractenberg.com. Uh, I spelled that out at the beginning of the show, and we'll <laughs> leave that at that. But um, if you have ideas for how to display her new work or need any blue mice, uh, give her a call. You've been listening to The Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network. Hope to have you back here Tuesday, 3 p.m. Cheers. following is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. The Snacky Tunes compilation has arrived and is available for free on our website, heritageradionetwork.com. This compilation features live performances from some of the hottest acts around today, including Midnight Magic, Surfer Blood, Oberhofer, and more. 
Again, you can download this compilation for free on our website, heritageradionetwork.com, and make sure to listen to Snacky Tunes every Monday at 2 p.m. on Heritage Radio Network. The following is a public service announcement from Heritage Foods USA. In late March, Dan, Andrea, Patrick, and the Heritage team are traveling to the coldest reaches of the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont to help the Cantor family tap sugar maple trees. Then the maple sap will flow down to the sugar house where it is boiled gently over a wood fire just as it has been for generations. Just a few days later, this grade A amber syrup will be poured into the beautiful glass jugs and sent to you for pancakes, waffles, desserts, glazing hams, or just drinking by the spoonful. There's only a limited supply, so order today. Each one-liter bottle is $45, including delivery. Delivery will be at the end of March, and we will notify you of the exact shipping date. Each shipment will include a CD explaining the whole process. You can also follow us on YouTube while we work and bottle. In the meantime, you can head over to the Heritage Radio Network archives and listen to Linda Palaccio talk about maple syrup on her show, A Taste of the Past, Episode 12. For more information, visit www.heritagefoodsusa.com. The following is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Join wine impresarios Aaron Fitzpatrick and Brian DeMarco as they dish out on the latest industry news with winemakers and tastemakers on Heritage Radio Network's revamped wine show, Unfiltered. Aaron Fitzpatrick, one of the first hosts on HRN with her program at the root of it, amps up the volume and unfiltered content with co-host Brian DeMarco in this 2011 Redux. True to the original format, Aaron and Brian will keep you abreast of current happenings and break down the news and global events, distilling complex into anecdotal stories that inspire. From media and political events to hailstorms in Argentina, no topic is out of bounds. Tune in every week to hear them chat up the industry's biggest personalities and host on-air tastings with visiting vintners and the country's hottest sommeliers. Whether you're an expert or an enthusiast, Unfiltered demystifies wine and lets you know what it really takes to get a bottle from the vineyard to your neighborhood wine shop. Unfiltered broadcasts live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. on Heritage Radio Network.